0: All right, welcome to the crew show Friday off and rolling second stream of the day could be a four stream Friday, which, wow, it's gonna be a busy day. That's what happens when the Niners are in the divisional round and they take on the Packers Saturday night at Levi's. We're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in Northern California. Check them out. Emeryville, Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Mojo Fantasy. And the bottom of the screen there, Marin Autoglass, marinautoglass.com. It is Friday, roughly 1045, which means Chase Sr. is in the house from Chat Sports, the man who covers the Niners and the Eagles. Uh, we were just talking off the air, Chase, about about Philly. Um, big day today for Nick Sirianni, huh? He's meeting with, with uh, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, who didn't look too happy uh, in the waning minutes of, Eagles bucks as he sat there with his wife or girlfriend, uh, in his suite. He looked like he just wanted, he was just miserable. He looked terrible. What do you think is going to happen with Sirianni before we get rolling on the Niners and, and the pack? Usually it's Jerry Jones
1: that the broadcast likes to pan to and he looks miserable and we take great joy in seeing Jerry Jones and shambles in the box. But on Monday night, it was Jeffrey Lurie. And I said this a couple of times on the 49ers report this week, as well as on Eagles. Now, he looked like a mob boss who was very annoyed with somebody working beneath him. And he looked like a mob boss who knew that he was going to have to whack one of his own. And that's just what it came down to. Not a decision that he wants to make, but things got so bad that he has to whack that person. I'm not sure how to feel about it. Sirianni meeting with him today, he wants Sirianni to present him with the plan for 2024 as well as a list of assistants. Now he's not out of the woods yet, even though Howie Roseman has been reaching out to coordinator candidates to try to bring him onto the staff in 2024. Because after the 2020 season, Doug Peterson, the plan was for him to actually come back. And Lurie told him that he would be the head coach in 2021. But then Peterson presented Lurie with a list of candidates that he was going to hire as offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Lurie didn't like that list. Peterson didn't budge. And then he got fired. I think if Sirianni does come back, though, you're going to see a new OC, a new DC, and he's going to overhaul that coaching staff.
0: Mm, Interesting. Um yeah, I, I to me I'm um, I I would bring Sirianni back if I were them. I can't believe Dallas is bringing back McCarthy though. Can't believe kinda, it. Yeah, it kind of shows that you know Jerry just he wants kind of a yes man and um, he wants to be able to play with his toy, you know. And his toy is the Dallas Cowboys and he wants to be able to continue to be a big big player in the whole thing. McCarthy is obviously will allow him to do that. Um, so it's no longer really about who's the best guy. It's like, who's the best guy that we can get. Who's fine with us, not just meddling, but really running the whole personnel side of the thing. And, um, I guess, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the way it was in stir in, uh, Clipperland for years and years where Donald Sterling was the, was the problematic owner. And he just had Elgin Baylor there and Elgin Baylor had unbelievable, uh, uh, you know, job security because he was willing to kind of just go along with Sterling. Right. And if you're willing to go along with Jerry, it sounds like you can keep your job maybe for an endless amount of time. So very weird situation in Dallas. Meddling owners,
1: never good. I think you always have to let your upper echelon employees do what they're really good at. You let the player personnel people do the player personnel duties. You let the coach coach. And that's why what San Francisco has going on right now, I think is really special. You know, Jed York is letting Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch cook. And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan seem to have a really good relationship. That front office has done a great job of identifying talent in the draft. I know they've had some misses early. They've had some misses in the middle rounds. But you look at this roster right now, they're just loaded. And then you have Parag, who... I know that he gets criticized sometimes for being a stiff negotiator, but sometimes you have to be when you're giving out all these lofty contract extensions and the Niners have done it in consecutive years and they're paying their own guys. You know, you have Fred Warner, you have George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, all getting those extensions. And still, even though those players, as well as Christian McCaffrey, Eric Armstead and others are making a lot of money. San Francisco's still in a really good financial spot moving forward and the talent on this roster still somewhat young in their mid 20s with a lot of these core players and they're one win away from making it to their fourth NSU championship game in the last five years As that serves as a little bit of a segue for us as we call in the business.
0: Yeah, good one. Good one. Well, let's let's get right into the injury front. Why don't we jump in there? There's going to be no Cleveland Farrell. Uh, Dre Greenlaw's listed as questionable, but I mean, I talked to him yesterday. He's going Saturday night. I don't think yep. there's any question about that, but on the Packer front, it's kind of interesting because Jair Alexander, I mean, I think Kingsley and Inegbare is clearly out. Um, the He had an ACL injury. He's their backup right outside linebacker. Very, very fast. Um, I think Inegbare is probably for sure out. I don't know about A.J. Dillon and Jair Alexander did not practice all week. So what do you think? I mean, is Alexander going to be out there? He's a great player. First-round pick in 2018, one of the best corners in football. He mans that right corner spot in Joe Barry's defense. Is Alexander going to go despite not practicing all week, or do you think he's going to sit it out and they're going to have to go to a combination of Carrington Valentine and Corey Ballantine? Very similar uh, situation last week for
1: Jair Alexander, and you're right. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the game, and he's been that over the last couple of years. Really good athleticism, love his length, love his toughness, love his instincts on making plays on the football. And we saw, even though he didn't practice last week, even though he was a game-time decision, literally up until the moment of that game as they wanted to test out how he was feeling, how he was looking in the lead-up to that Cowboys game at AT AT&T Stadium, he ended up playing, and had an interception of Dak Prescott. And this week hasn't practiced at all, and he is defining the word questionable for this game. If he can't go, then this 49ers offense, which I already think matches up very well against this Packers secondary, then has yet another edge. So that's a really big loss for Green Bay if he's not able to play. I think San Francisco can get away with not having Cleveland Furl in this game. And what's interesting is that Chase Young in nine games with the 49ers his snap counts were down because the Niners really trusted and liked what Cleveland Furl was able to do and I thought he kind of fell under the radar a little bit as one of these Chris Kosarek developmental projects for a player that he was trying to get back in line after he was drafted fourth overall and was a bust for the Las Vegas Raiders so without Furrell You have to imagine that Chase Young is going to play more, and I don't see that being a bad thing in a game like this with this many implications against a really quality Packers offense with so many weapons, and Jordan Love playing excellent ball over the last 10 games.
0: All right, let's start right there. The Niner D line going up against this Green Bay Packer offensive line. Um, You know, it's Zach Tom, it's Rasheed Walker at tackles. They held Dallas without a sack. Uh, They shut down Micah Parsons. He only had one pressure in 19 pass rush uh, snaps. Now there's Bosa, there's Chase Young, there's Randy Gregory, maybe Robert Beal, maybe Austin Bryant. Bosa was third in the NFL with 95 pressures. I I guess the question is, I mean, the, the one thing about Jordan Love is that he's been really good in the second half of the year. It's largely, I think, because he's barely been touched. I mean, the Packer O-line's given up two sacks combined in the last four games. Um, and this guy is is sitting back there and he's making plays. To me, that that's where this thing starts on defense for the 49ers. Um, obviously, Aaron Jones, and we'll get into stopping Aaron Jones, but what do you think about the Niners D-line with all these big names, including the return of Eric Armstead, obviously Javon Hargrave, who's gotten better and better as the year's gone on, What do you think of the matchup between Packer O-line number two and pass block win rate in this Niner D-line with so many stars and so much money uh, poured into it? Who's going to win there? I do like the Niners defensive line in this matchup and
1: give credit where credit is due. There's a reason why the Green Bay Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys. There's a reason why they started two and five and they've turned it around and they're eight and three. Since then, they've really gotten it together on both sides of the ball. The offensive line has been a part of that. The defense has started to make some strides, although they have had some lapses, which we'll talk about against the run game here in just a little while. And this Packers team has been very well coached by Matt LaFleur. Jordan Love has made some of the most impressive in-season developments of any quarterback that I've seen in recent memory, and the offensive line providing the protection that they have has allowed him to have a lot of clean pockets and deliver the football downfield to a bevy of weapons. And this Packers team is just loaded from a personnel standpoint. And, Lair, I know you're a big personnel guy. This team is a very fascinating case study because – Going into this year, not a lot of people knew what the Packers were going to be, how good they were going to be. I think over the next five years, this Packers team and maybe this Niners team on a collision course to be two of the powers in the NFC because this team is young and they're extremely talented and they're very deep. But with how well this Packers offense has been playing and the boost that this offensive line has given them, their performance against Dallas, I thought, was impressive. But also, you have to take a look at where the Cowboys' defense was trending. And since week 13, it was a Cowboys' defense that had secondary breakdowns. They are always bad at the linebacker position. And the defensive line in the pass rush kind of went missing. And in turn, that also made the Packers' offensive line look like a dominant unit. But the Cowboys' defense after week 13, overall EPA 27th, pass defense EPA 28th, run defense EPA 16th success rate was 27th, pass defense success rate 31st among 32 teams, and then the run defense success rate was at 24th. Getting our Eric Armstead back is a huge boost to this Niners defensive line and this Packers offensive line as they've gotten it together, as they've gotten hot, has not faced a Niners defensive line that's this ferocious, that's this multiple, that's this deep, and that's this talented. And I think that Eric Armstead coming back opens up opportunities for Nick Bosa, of course, but also Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead. And again, I think the uptick in the snap count for Chase Young is only going to be a good thing because he's a better player than Cleveland Furl, and now he's going to start to play a little bit more. But pass pro, Packers have been really good. And then in the run game, they've allowed Aaron Jones to run for more than 100 yards in four consecutive games where some of those holes against that Cowboys defense they were gaping holes, and an 18-wheeler could have fit through them. And I was so surprising to see that with Dan Quinn recognized and respect that a defensive mind like he is for that Cowboys defense to continue to go downhill, as evidenced by the numbers that I read out, but in a playoff game just have so many lapses against the pass and against the run.
0: You know, stopping Aaron Jones is going to be huge. He's got yeah. four straight 100-yard days. Um, green Bay's rush offense is 15th in the league. Niners rush defense is third, you know, outside of Jones, let's pass on Jones for a second. Ka- uh, the uh, Packers have four rookies among their skill position guys, both the tight ends, Tucker craft, third round pick Musgrave was a second round pick. And then they've got Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks. And Reed has been their number one receiver. If you look at the numbers this year, 64 catches, 793 yards, 10 touchdowns. Um but, man, Wicks has been coming on. Four touchdowns all in the past three games, and he's a big-bodied guy, very strong, good player at Virginia. Outside of Aaron Jones, who do you think is the the receiver for Green Bay that you would most want to take away? I know Dobbs is coming off the 150 game against Dallas, but Reed had one 112 or something like that the week before. And then, as I mentioned, Wicks has been hot. Christian Watson is a vertical threat, but Bo Melton's really good. I mean, this is this is, in some ways makes things very kind of complicated from a defensive standpoint. Is there a weapon that you would want to take away besides Jones? It's hard to pinpoint just one weapon,
1: and this Packers offense is so diverse in the amount of skill players that they do have, and all of these things – kind of aligning and all of these things coming together for the Packers is why they were able to get hot and finish the season eight and three after that two and five start offensive line is playing really well. Jordan Love has made some just great adjustments and strides in his development in the first full season as a starter. Over his last five games, he has a passer rating of 126.5. He's thrown for more than 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, no picks. And in his last 10 games, he's thrown 23 touchdowns and three interceptions. So he's also making good decisions with the football. And I think that Matt LaFleur, we've seen – a little bit of a change in philosophy and play calling this year compared to when he had Aaron Rodgers. Say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, right? Guy's a gifted thrower of the football, maybe the most gifted thrower of the football that we've seen in quite some time. But when you have a player like that, and for so long, when you have a player like Devontae Adams, you're going to let Aaron Rodgers do his thing because it's masterful and it's a spectacle what he's able to do and he can spin it. But what happens is you rely on Aaron Rodgers. He has say in the game plan, he makes changes at the line of scrimmage because he has that autonomy and that power. And then you stray away from the run game. But this year, with an inexperienced quarterback in Jordan Love and with a really good running back in Aaron Jones, Matt LaFleur has really called games a little bit more evenly where they rely on the ground as well as that aerial attack And it's kind of like that 50-50 approach that the Niners have, which makes them really dangerous, multiple, diverse, and very difficult to stop. And when you look at the weapons on this Packers team, they're actually the only team in the NFL with six pass catchers who had 300 to 800 receiving yards. So this is going to be a big test for this Niner secondary because going back to your question, who do you key in on and who do you take away? I think point number one, You have to stop Aaron Jones in the ground game because the ground game sets up the pass game for the Packers. And if you force Jordan Love to beat you from the pocket consistently and you take away that ground game, I like the Niners' chances. But if the Packers are able to set the tone early in this game and they can run it, against a Niners team that, on average, faces the least amount of carries per game in the NFL and is bad tackling, and then Love is able to operate out of play action and pick you apart through the air, then this defense could be in a precarious spot. Jaden Reed is really good. Romeo Dobbs went crazy against Dallas. Dontavian Wicks is a very good player. Christian Watson has barely played because of hamstring injuries, but still an explosive threat who's tall who can take the top off of the defense and get vertical, but but because he's 6'5", he's a good red zone threat. In limited action this year, He still had 28 catches for 422 yards and five touchdowns, and I've tuned into your show a couple of times this week. As high as you are on the tight ends, I love him as well, and with Dre Greenlaw dealing with this Achilles injury, it's going to be a big game for Greenlaw against the pass, as well as Fred Warner, because Tucker Craft is really good. 31 catches, 355, and two touchdowns this year. Luke Musgrave, 34 grabs and two touchdowns. Try to decide which tight end is better. I'm not really sure. So Love is playing good. Offensive line is providing pass protection. They're opening up holes in the running game. And then through the air, Matt LaFleur has gotten really, really creative with a lot of pre-snap motion. And then they can put out, four, five, six weapons combined at running back, wide receiver, and tight end on any given play. And if you're Steve Volks, you're like, who do we key in on? And if an injury happens in that Niner secondary, that's not going to be good because the backups in that secondary for San Francisco are a little bit light, whereas the backups and some of the role players in this Packers offense at those skill positions are very, very good.
0: The Niners know Aaron Jones. He knows yep. them. Mm-hmm. Um, they've gone head-to-head against Jones in the past he's he's a good receiver and he's a good runner yep um what do you think though i mean do you think that he had success last week because dallas is not great at stopping the run i mean the 49ers do have Greenlaw, they do have warner they are like third in the nfl at stopping the run how do you see this one i mean this green bay's rush offense um you know ranking wise is 15th yep. but jones was out so they're really better now than that number would indicate and the Niners run defense is third overall uh and yet you know what I think that number might be a little high to be completely honest because their offense has taken you know the teams don't run it as much and they don't commit to the run um because they fall behind against the 49ers so right I, I'm a little worried I'm, I think Green Bay's Rushing attack is a little bit better than their ranking, and I'm a, I'm a little concerned that the Niner rush defense is a little worse than their ranking. Um, how do you see the Niners' ability to shut down Jones? Because it seems like Aaron Jones, and and if he has success, it, that could be the difference in this ball game. Shutting him down has got to be Steve Wilkes' number one plan for for Saturday night, no doubt. And we saw against the Cowboys what
1: happened. Very rarely does a team win the coin toss and not defer. Packers took the ball because they wanted to go right down the field, and that's exactly what they did. And point number one for the Packers and the emphasis for that offense in Matt LaFleur was to run the football. And they found success in running it with Aaron Jones. And then what did the Packers start to do from there? You can't stack the box against this team because if you do and you're late on that back end, they're going to throw all those aforementioned weapons at you and then they're going to operate out of the play action. What happened to Dallas? They all crashed up toward the line and trying to stop the run and then the pop passes started getting sprinkled on that back end by Jordan Love. So that's what's so difficult to defend about this Packers team. Now, Aaron Jones has more than 100 yards in four straight games. He's a really good back, and he's been a good back for a long time. Another concern is that if you bring pressure on Jordan Love, not only can he move off his spot, Not only can he throw from different arm angles, when you're in his face, he drops it down to kind of that sidearm or that three-quarter to get the ball around you. He kind of has that Aaron Rodgers ability to kind of fade away from the rush, buy some time, then off the back foot, little flick of the wrist, throw a touch and accuracy. But if you blitz Jordan Love and Aaron Jones fakes as a pass protector and then he leaks out and you blitz and you don't have guys on that back end, that's a chunk play for Aaron Jones in the passing game. Now, on the ground, look at the opponents that the Packers have had success against running the football. Cowboys, Bears, Vikings, Panthers. Not juggernauts by any means. And those teams are not the San Francisco 49ers. But... What's also a little bit of an issue for me, and you kind of threw that out there a little while ago, is that the Niners' defense against the run is a little bit deceiving. Yards per rush allowed, 4.1. It's 14 among 32 teams. Rushing yards per game, they're number three at 89.7. And then rushing touchdowns allowed per game, number five, at 0.6. That sounds good, right? But context is really important in any type of debate, any type of argument, any type of conversation. So while those numbers do sound good, the Niners on average face the least amount of rushes per game at 21.7. So they don't have to face run-heavy teams often. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Teams have tried to target their secondary, but mostly teams have not run it, Because the 49ers get out to an early lead, and they're so difficult to stop when they're ahead. And I think that San Francisco is the most dominant team in football when they're playing from ahead. Because then Kyle Shanahan gets in his bag, and he starts to feel himself. And the Niners can hit you with the run. They can hit you with the pass. And when they're really, really humming, and when they're ahead, they're so difficult to stop. So, again, that's a big key, is getting out to an early lead in this game. But tackling is also a huge issue for this 49ers defense all year long. And if they miss a couple of tackles and they can't stop the run, that just leads to Jordan Love being able to really manipulate the defense and target the secondary, hit you with some play action and have success through the air as well.
0: You know, there's so many interesting angles on this game. I asked yeah. Shanahan yesterday, I said, would you take the ball if you yeah, you know, is there any scenario that you would consider taking the ball to start the game? And he's just like, no, give me a one word answer. So I had to follow up and I said, well, you know, why? And he just, he kind of, you know, he he said a bunch of things, but he basically was just like, hey, this is, we think like we can lap the field if we can score going into the, into the dressing room and then coming out in the third quarter score again. Uh And I, and I understand that, but I look at this first quarter as absolutely essential. And the Niners trailed, at halftime three times this year. They've lost all three of those games. Yep. And I I just think the first half is so vital um, that I don't know. I mean, it's like I might want to, especially if, you know, you warm up and then you give the ball to Jordan Love and he's already in this amazing rhythm. We saw it in, in, they took the ball first against Dallas. And I, I think they probably will do the same thing here against the 49ers wouldn't you want to have your own long extended drive, 18 plays, 19 plays, run the heck out of it, make him stand there for 20 minutes and and then come into a 7 nothing game? Um, I don't know. I mean, I know what Kyle's thinking, but I also think that this might be the spot to – because two things have to happen in this game in the first quarter. Niners have to establish a rhythm offensively despite the fact they've been sitting around for three weeks – And they've got to slow down this quarterback who I don't think is as good as he looked last week, but he is in full rhythm right now. And I would do everything and anything in my power to disrupt that rhythm, including making him sit the first 15 minutes of the game uh, after warming up on the sideline, uh, watching my offense. But Shanahan said, no, if we win the coin toss, we're absolutely deferring to the second half. He's more comfortable with that route. What do you think of the of the wisdom of, of the whole thing of, you know, just kind of universally always deferring to the third quarter? I think in the playoffs, sometimes
1: you want to be malleable and you want to switch things up from time to time. And that's why I love the decision from Matt LaFleur to take the ball. And that sent a message to his team. We're going to go right down the field and against a team that's mentally soft, mentally fickle, that has choked every year in the playoffs for the last 28 years, It's going to be sphincter tightening season for the Dallas Cowboys on that other sideline. If we go 75 yards, we establish the run, we play smash mouth football, and we send a message saying, we're the number seven seed, but we're here. And I do like the philosophy generally of deferring because I do like the thought process of, I have confidence in my offense, let's score right before halftime, even a field goal is a momentum changer sometimes. But Regardless, you score before halftime, then you get the ball after recess, and then you have an opportunity to pair up another scoring drive on top of that one right before the break. So usually that's what I like, but I certainly see where you're coming from, where Jordan Love against the Cowboys, for all of the Bay Area people watching the show, to me, he caught a rhythm, he caught fire, and it was almost like the football version of Steph Curry. Steph Curry, catch and shoot, swish from three, starts feeling himself a little bit. And then the next possession, he has some space, dribble pull up from distance, cash. He's able to hit a couple, and then he gives you that shimmy. Then he starts to shoot and doesn't even watch the ball go in because he knows he's caught fire and he's in that rhythm and nothing is stopping him. With Jordan Love, with the Packers running it and with him having success through the air, he played with so much poise and he played with so much confidence. And that's something that stood out to me about some of the young quarterbacks last weekend. I was texting with my dad and first he texted me, really impressed with this Texans quarterback, CJ Stroud. so much poise in the pocket where he buys time up until the last moment. He knows that he's going to get shot right in the chest, still able to rip a throw downfield because he needed that extra time for his receiver to get open to get that window to pinpoint and keyhole that throw jordan love was doing some of the same stuff and again like i was watching jordan love and the elements to his game really did remind me of kind of a young aaron Rodgers, where normal delivery sidearm delivery three-quarter delivery He was kind of manipulating, maneuvering the pocket a little bit. He'd roll to his right, make a man miss, keep his eyes up to still throw downfield. He didn't run the football once against Dallas because he was just so good with having a pocket feel and pocket mobility. But then again, I referenced this a little bit earlier, but this is like the Aaron Rodgers-esque type of quarterbacking that I saw. Backpedal, backpedal, rely on the arm. Pass rush isn't going to get to you. you. Wait until the last moment flick of the wrist and he throws a dart so that's what I've been so impressed with and that's what impressed me so much against the Dallas Cowboys is he looked mature beyond his years and then the way that the Packers played their game plan their aggressiveness and the messages that Matt LaFleur sent I loved it and I wouldn't hate if Kyle Shanahan was like you know what I'm such a great opening play caller we rely on this script and oftentimes it works out well Let's send a message to Green Bay and let's get them out of their rhythm and not give them the ball first. Also, Green Bay is also really good when they're playing from ahead.
0: Yeah, Jordan Love reminds me I'm a little older. I it reminds me of F- a young Favre. Yeah, and Favre did a lot of the same things. You know, he he would he wasn't a runner, but he would drift off the top off the top of the the the, the drop and just create that extra time. I also kind of believe that you play. I would go with my first at the start of the game. I would go with whatever unit I thought had the best chance to have success. And I, I believe more in the Niners offense going against this Green Bay D than I believe in the Niners defense going against this Packers. O. so that's mm-hmm. another reason why I would put my defense out there. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I would put my offense out there because I think the offense is likely to have success. Who, who do, do you have more confidence against the, about the Niners' offense going against this Green Bay D, like I do, or do you have more confidence in the Niners' defense against this Packer O? I have more confidence in the
1: Niners' offense going up against the Packers' defense. I do too. They were calling for their defensive coordinator's head as early as a month, month and a half ago, and there are some concerning trends with this Packers defense. And a lot of people have heard these numbers by now, but they're important to really note and point out. Green Bay gave up 200 rushing yards four times in a game this season. They're 24th in yards per rush, 28th in rushing yards per game. And then San Francisco is 4th in yards per rush and 3rd in rushing yards per game. San Francisco this year also 10-1 and when Christian McCaffrey has at least 75 yards rushing. So the bread and butter of Kyle Shanahan's offense and the 49ers offense in general, running the football and Kyle Shanahan compared to his protege, Mike McDaniel, I think does such a great job of establishing physicality, but also does a better job of scheming up running plays and getting creative in the run game, which a lot of coaches struggle with across the NFL. And with Christian McCaffrey, he's such a good dual threat back where You know, he's able to slice you and dice you in so many different ways. And it's not just that the Packers gave up 200 yards in four games. They gave up more than 100 yards on countless occasions. I think there were nine games this year where they gave up 100 yards or more on the ground. So if San Francisco is able to dictate the pace, the physicality, the complexion, the feel of the game by running it, it only makes Brock Purdy's job a little bit easier And again, when the Niners are able to get out from ahead, it's just a full steam train moving, full steam ahead, and they're just so, so difficult to stop. So yeah, the confidence that I have more so is the Niners offense against this Packers defense. I also don't think that that secondary is all that good, and Joe Woods historically Um, or Joe Barry, has struggled historically against Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay type of teams because of the creativity, all of the crossers, and all of the semblance of routes that are within this Niners offense. So, Niners offense against the Packers defense.
0: What do you think Joe Barry's plan is going to be against Brock Purdy? Purdy led the NFL this season in passer rating when pressured. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the the right plan is to blitz him and give him defined reads. Um, I think you may want to play more like the Ravens played and see if you can uh, the Ravens did occasionally blitz him in the condensed formations off the edges. Yeah. But they also dropped a lot of guys into the middle of the field and tried to anticipate what windows Brock wanted to play, you know, wanted to throw into and tried to cloud those windows with as many bodies as possible. If you're Joe Barry I mean that's the wonderful thing about the NFL game and the playoffs is that there's always adjustments and there's always unexpected things. What do you think Joe Barry's plan will be? Will he will he try to blitz and speed up Brock? Will he will he rush three and drop eight? I, I talked to Colt McKivitz. I said, "What are you seeing on film with them?" And he's like, "Well, they they'll rush five pretty consistently, but they'll they won't blitz, so they'll drop other guys into the coverage, and you just don't know exactly." who's coming of the five. What do you think? What's the wrinkle? If you're Joe Barry, how do you defend this
1: offense? I think you look at all of the opponents that the Niners played this year and you look at who they struggled against. Most recently, it was the Baltimore Ravens. And what did Baltimore do? Mike McDonald is running a defensive scheme right now. That is all the craze at every level of football. Jesse Minner, the Michigan defensive coordinator, is also running that same defensive scheme. They were the top-scoring defense in the country and the best overall defense in the country. And Mike McDonald was running that former Michigan defense now with the Ravens, and Baltimore has the number one defense in the NFL. And what do they do
0: against San Francisco on Christmas night?
1: A lot of zone coverage, and Brock Purdy really struggled. And and
0: Joe Barry threw a ton of zone at Prescott last week and mixed the
1: zones. Yep. And, And that's what I was about to segue to is that against Dallas last week, that offense is pretty vanilla and predictable at times. And I hated Dallas's game plan early where it was run, run, pass. So predictable. And then when they did pass, you knew that Dak Prescott was looking the way of C.D. Lamb. But what the Packers did was they played zone, and they took the first read away from Dak Prescott. And when he got off that first read, he became unsure of, of himself. And then the pocket started to collapse. And then he wasn't really sure where to go with the football. And I thought that the Game plan for the Packers is really good against Dallas in that way where they gave them multiple looks within that zone and occasional blitz here and there, which I expect them to do to Brock Purdy as well, but kind of replicate that game plan from the Ravens and occasional blitz. You bring five. You drop everybody else back in coverage. You take away the middle area of the field, which the Packers have struggled to defend this year, and that's an advantage for the San Francisco 49ers. But then with that zone defense and those multiple looks, when you're dropping guys back in coverage, you make Brock Purdy think too much. You make Dak Prescott think too much, and they're not processing as fast. When Brock Purdy's processing fast off one read to the other, he's so good because his mind is able to work so quickly. But against the Ravens, that first interception that was intended for Debo Samuel, he was late to get to Debo, then Kyle Hamilton crashed the route and he picked him off. And then after that, I think you saw Brock Purdy pressing a little bit because his vision was a little bit clouded and his mind was a little bit clouded with all those different looks. So I think that's what the Packers try to do. But here's the thing. They don't have the defensive personnel that the Baltimore Ravens have.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. They don't have Roquan and Queen in the middle of the field. Um, and those guys are great, great players. Um, I, I really think that, you know, the twenty-eighth run defense, it's a big day for for CMC. It's a big day for Debo in the backfield. Yep. I think it's a day where Kyle Shanahan's gonna get both those guys isolated on Quay Walker, who I really believe is a more of a defensive end, and Devondre Campbell, who's kind of, you know, lost more than a step. And I think those guys are going to get roasted either against the run or the, you know, the shallow crossers trying to cover these linebackers or trying to cover these running backs, or in in this case, Debo as a running back. One of the things I want to get your thoughts on is that uh, the empty set, you know, the one of the things that uh, it was a great article. I think um, Kyle Posey had it on Niners Nation, that Brock's completion percentage was lower than usual at 63%. Not seventy against oh again in empty sets, but his his yards per attempt were eleven point two yards per attempt. And they're going he's going against a Packers defense that was the eighth worst in the NFL as yards allowed and yards per attempt against empty set. Um the Cowboys emptied the backfield in the third quarter and had a lot of success in that game last week, but they were already down twenty seven seven and the game was pretty much out of hand at that point. What do you think of that? I mean speeding you know basically speeding up uh, the entire thing by you know if they want to blitz uh, Purdy at that point you know it's and try to speed him up uh, it's high risk high reward but um you know Purdy's attacking down the field in the empty set situations that might be a ma- a major advantage for the 49ers if you look at the numbers.
1: Yeah, and that's another reason why I have confidence in this Niners offense going up against this Packers defense. If you do go empty, I think it's really important to have somebody flanked to the right of Colton McKivitz to try to help and chip there because I think Colton McKivitz, obviously all year, he's been a massive weakness. 47 pressures given up, nine sacks allowed, four hits and two penalties. But if you do go empty, does Green Bay in the secondary with the play designs, the creativity, the play calling of Kyle Shanahan, combined with the weapons that the Niners have with Debo and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Jawan Jennings, who's back, who I think is going to play a big role in this game and always does on third downs, as well as in the ground game coming off that concussion. He's tough, he's physical. I think the Niners have missed that presence. Then I would challenge Green Bay to try to match me if we spread it out. But again, I think you have to have somebody there to the right of Colton McKivitts to try to help on that side because if you do empty it out nobody's in the backfield then you don't have that running back to help you instead so whether it's a Charlie Warner whether it's a George Kittle just a little chip on that edge because this Packers defense has guys who can get after the quarterback and they're going to load up that Colton McKivitz side Rashawn Gary nine sacks Preston Smith eight Kenny Clark has seven and a half. Devontae Wyatt has five. And Carl Brooks on the interior, he has four. So this is a good Packers defensive line. But in that secondary, I'll take the Niners weapons over the Packers secondary, especially that linebacking core in targeting the middle area of the field.
0: Yeah, Green Bay's got three players with at least seven and a half sacks. I mean, Smith, Clark, and Gary, but you also mentioned the other guys. There's also Lucas Van Yeah, He's he had a four. sack in, in back-to-back games. So the Niner offensive line will be challenged. The best part of Green Bay's defense is clearly their defensive line. Um, Okay, so I mean, and and then, you know, I'm looking at some of the numbers. Green Bay, you know, gave up a rating of 100.3 against wide receivers. That's 28th in the NFL. So I imagine Ayuk and Debo could have a lot of success. Green Bay allowed a a rating of 105.8. Uh, quarterback rating when he was targeting the tight end this year. That's 23rd in the NFL. So Kittle could have absolutely a big day. So there's a lot of numbers and there's a lot of breakdown here. Um, There's also two trends that I think are really interesting. Teams on short rest in the playoffs facing a team that's on regular rest, 5-12 straight up in the last 20 years. And then teams to win as six-point underdogs as Green Bay was last week at least six point underdogs or higher the previous week in the playoffs over the last 20 years and then go to the next round this round and they're six point dogs again the next week are only three and 13 straight up over the last 20 years another angle that really favors the Niners all the info aside Chase because I do want to get your thoughts on these other games as well give me your your kind of thumbnail sketch if we were just starting the stream right now on who wins. Who wins? What does it look like? Is it as simple as, man, the Niners have McCaffrey. You said it already in this stream. When he gets to 75 yards of rushing, they're 10-1. and Going up against the 28th-rated rush defense. Is it just Niners run it a ton with McCaffrey, and we need not – Really handicap anything more than that. Um, give me your prediction on how this game's actually going to go Saturday night. Yeah, I think when you're in a role that you and I are in, when we're trying our best
1: to inform the audience as much as possible, and we're looking at all these numbers and we're canvassing over film and you're just really doing deep dives into a matchup. You tend to overthink sometimes a little bit. And maybe we are overthinking it. I've always said throughout this week, I think it's going to be a close game. But then you look at the betting line and the Niners are nine, nine and a half point favorites. It opened up with the Niners giving 10 to Green Bay. And then I've been listening to some betting people and they think that San Francisco is going to dominate this football game. And that makes me think a little bit, okay, are we overthinking this a bit? And are we overrating the Packers? I think that we're disrespecting the Packers with that nine, nine and a half point line because they're a young, fearless, confident team that's coming in here with nothing to lose. And all of the pressure is on the San Francisco 49ers. But still, there's no excuse for the Niners to lose this game. Kyle Shanahan's a great game planner. He's had two weeks to prepare. The Niners are the healthiest that they've been all year. Their strength is running the football. The Packers' strength or weakness, excuse me, on defense is stopping the run. Brock Purdy and this Niners offense through the air. They love to target the middle area of the field. That's where the Packers are really bad. I do have some concerns about the Niners' defense against the run. They're tackling. And if the Packers do throw out two tight end sets with a couple of wide receivers, are the Niners able to, if they don't get a pass rush, defend them on the back end? That's a little bit of a concern. Honestly, what this game comes down to to me, and it might sound cliche, but the numbers certainly back up my argument. And I've said this all along. The Niners are going to get to the Super Bowl as long as they don't shoot themselves. And the Niners are going to win this game as long as they don't have self-inflicted wounds. The Niners are 8-0 and when they don't turn the football over this year. They are 4-5 and when they do. They are 9-1 and when they get two or more takeaways but three and five when they don't. So if they play a clean game and they play up to their potential and they force a takeaway or two, they're going to win this game. If they turn it over and they have to come from behind and Kyle Shanahan has to look that dubious fourth quarter record of down by a touchdown or more in the face in the fourth quarter, then it's a little bit of a concern because at that point, Green Bay is probably going to be able to run it as well as throw it. But I do like San Francisco. I think it's going to be like 26-21, 26-23. And hopefully it doesn't come down to a Jake Moody field goal because all of us will be pissing down our legs if that happens.
0: That's a great number, though. 8-0 when they don't turn it over. What would you say their record was when they do? 8-0 when they don't turn it over.
1: 4-5 when they do. Mm. 9-1 when they get two or more takeaways.
0: 3-5 when they don't. Yeah, that's it right there. Got to yeah. take care of the football for sure. Yeah. I, I I think if the Niners are minus one, this is going to be a close game. If they're minus two, they're going to lose. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as the turnover margin, Qu- couple quick Niner thoughts. Chamura, what what did you make of that comment? It's just so stupid. I, I I get you're a former player, and
1: there's a lot of hostility between Green Bay and San Francisco. He was a part of the '95 team that went into Candlestick and won, and these are two. They of were the plus most four iconic- in
0: turnovers that day, by the way. Plus yeah. four, Green Bay was.
1: Yeah, yeah. These are two of the most iconic historic brands in NFL history. You think about the SF logo and the G logo. They're gonna re uh, meet on Saturday night for a record tenth time in the playoffs. The 49ers own the series five to four, and they've won four consecutive games. So Green Bay, when Shamura was playing, certainly dominated this rivalry. But Larry, you have to be cognizant. Like anytime we're in front of the camera, anytime we're on this microphone, we know that anything nowadays can get clipped, that our words can reverberate and the message spreads really quickly. And last year you had a Dallas area host saying Cowboys should try to injure Christian McCaffrey because you take him out of the game. That improves the Cowboys chances to win. And now you have Chamura saying maybe a little bit of a late hit on Brock Purdy. Those 15 yards might be worth it. It's just like it comes down to why. Why are you saying that? It just comes down to idiotic shock jock radio. And I've never been a fan of like shock jock radio. I love the history of radio. I love sports talk radio. I grew up listening to it. I know I've texted you a couple of times because I'm interested in what's been going on in the market in San Francisco between KNBR and, um, you know, the other station.
0: 95.7 The
1: Game. 95.7 The Game. I've been on there a couple of times. It just slipped my mind. So, you know, I love that type of stuff. Right. But like, it's just idiotic. It's just stupid. There's just, it's just not needed. And it gives bulletin board material to San Francisco. Why would you want to do that? Add fuel to the fire.
0: Yeah. What about Amy Trask? Who's an executive and she's very smart and she's a friend, but I had to push back on her when she came out and said, there's eight quarterbacks playing that are, or, oh, there's eight quarterbacks playing this week. Seven of them are terrific. And the others, Brock Purdy. Um, I, 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 to me, I don't understand it. I, this guy's elite as a processor, the timing, the toughness, the accuracy, the feel, um, the heart, uh, these are all elite traits. And, um, I didn't understand her drive by on, on Purdy. What did you think of it? I mean, and also I don't understand why golf and Mayfield in her mind are better than Brock when Brock's got, Numbers that are quite a bit better than those guys. Yeah,
1: Brock just continues to get disrespected by people who don't know ball, who go box score hunting, who are all just casual fans. If you watch the games this year, Brock Purdy has elevated his teammates. He's executed. He's thrown with touch, accuracy, anticipation. He's thrown the long ball, contrary to belief. Everybody wants to say he's a dink and dunk passer and all of his weapons pick up yards after the catch to inflate his stats. He's dropping dime after dime downfield. And it's just a case of draftism to me. If Brock Purdy was the first round pick, he'd be the face of the league. Everybody would be hyping him up. But because he's a little bit smaller and he was Mr. Irrelevant, people aren't going to give him his flowers. And that's why so badly I want Purdy to go out there, sling it, and prove the world wrong. And you're popping up that comment or that question from Woodpit420. Big four twenty guy, nice. Um, did you follow <laughs> statistics? If you look at Purdy's numbers, which is the easy thing to do, he's top five, top ten in every major statistical category, basically among all quarterbacks in the NFL. So
0: Raiders are always going to Raider. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and Amy, if you're watching, I, I love you, but I, I had to push back on that. Also, I really did, did. Was she with the organization
1: when they drafted Jamarcus Russell?
0: I mean, she, she acknowledged, she actually sent me a note back saying, you know, you know, there's all these people blaming me for bad picks. I've never picked a player. I've never been part of the process that picked a player, which all I said was, Hey, then why is she talking about Brock Purdy then? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and all I would just say is, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you wouldn't ask Scott McLuhan about, you know, is a football team on the correct legal grounds for a lawsuit? Why? Because he's not uh general counsel for a franchise he's a awesome personnel evaluator yeah but he but you would ask him about brock purdy and like you wouldn't ask a lawyer necessarily about you know who's a good football player it's just it's just different different lanes different categories of of your brain different training different everything and i so anyway i love her and amy if you're watching this i love you but um but come on no um Okay, couple, couple supers, and then I got to get your predictions. We got this one from Jay Fig 909ers. How will the Niner defense stop Aaron Jones and the wide receiver Reed? Uh, will Purdy outperform Love? Um, that's a big question. I, I would imagine, you know, Jaden Reed, Greg Cosell mentioned it earlier this week. They use Jaden Reed a lot on, on motions. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't have a single catch against Dallas, but he had over hundred yards the, in week 18. Uh, he's a, he's a re, got great ball skills. He's a small player, but he's got great ball skills. It's kind of like a veteran. Um, what do you think? I mean, what, is there a, an answer necessarily to, to how to stop Jones and Reed? And, and I think there's a good chance that Purdy performs well. Does he outperform love? I think, I think both quarterbacks are going to play well. I really do.
1: Yeah, it also comes down to how the game is played. Like If the Niners go run heavy, the Purdy numbers might not be great, but is he efficient and does he have a clean slate in not turning the football over? That's going to be a huge key. You're going to have to watch the game to see how it plays out. But with Aaron Jones and Reed, I think this is what San Francisco has to do right from the jump. They can't stack the box because then they could get burned in the pass game. I want to see if they can win with their front four as well as their linebackers, to stop the run. And then in turn, you have more guys on that back end to stop guys like Reed, Wicks, Dobbs, and the two tight ends.
0: Fig also comes back. Will the Niners' defense get pressure on Love? I think this is one of the big questions of the day. Um, I think they have to as well. I mean, it's a big day for Chase. It's a big day for Gregory. It's a huge day for Bosa. But I think the key to their defense up front is going to be Hargrave. I like Hargrave to get that interior pressure. I've seen Hargrave. He, The one thing Hargrave showed me this year, he's a big money guy. Yeah. And he gets better as the year goes on. And when you play in the Super Bowl, you don't take September football quite as seriously. And, he, the, you know, he's a low-key guy, very easy going. He had a different look in his eye this week walking around that locker room. I watch these guys very closely. This guy's intense. And I expect Hargrave to really fire. Uh, I think he'll be the difference. Roberto says, time for Bosa and Young to earn their money. I think that's fair. Agreed. And then we have words of wisdom saying Raiders are always going to Raider. Love it, Chase. Uh, no question. Um, okay, give me your thoughts on these other games. What do you Give me Texans-Ravens. Who do you like? I and by the way, they- it's, it's going to be snow on the ground in uh, in Baltimore, supposedly, for that
1: game. Yeah, I think that helps out Baltimore a little bit because they're so physical at the line of scrimmage, and that defense is excellent. If the Texans are to pull off the upset, C.J. Stroud is going to have to play lights out. Even if he plays solid, I think the Texans still lose. He's going to have to be unconscious like he was against the Browns and a couple of times this year as he leads the NFL in touchdown to interception ratio. I just think Baltimore and San Francisco on a collision course here, I think, Lamar Jackson has the best grouping of weapons that he's had. And then you combine that with the defense as well as the play calling too with Todd Munkin in there from Georgia. I think he's helped elevate the pass game a little bit because Greg Roman's offense is a little bit too RPO heavy and reliant on the run as people saw at the tail end of his Niners tenure. So I do like Baltimore to win. I just think they're simply too good for a young, exciting upstart Texans team led by D'Amico that the future of that organization is extremely bright with him as head coach and CJ Stroud at quarterback, who I absolutely love.
0: I'm going Texans. I think Will Anderson, Jonathan Greenard, and Derek Barnett are playing great. And are? I think they're going to overwhelm those tackles. Uh, Barnett really opened my eyes last week. I mean that he looked so good. Yeah. And I, if if Barnett, Greenard, and Will Anderson look as good this week as they looked last week, I, I like the Texans to. I like the Texans a lot if they get a lead, but I, I I think the Texans could come from behind, you know, come from behind in this game as long as they don't dig themselves a massive hole. Right. So I like the Texans there. How about Bucks Lions? Where are you at there? I'm going Detroit and the Baker Mayfield
1: story has been great, but the Eagles are just atrocious on the defensive side of the football. And if the Buccaneers could have caught that. Caught, could have caught a couple of passes, game would have been over in the first quarter. But I really like how Detroit is playing right now. They've patched some things up on defense, which has made them a little bit better. I thought that Rams team came in hot and very difficult to stop. And after halftime, I liked what Detroit did. That offense has been really good at home, Jared Goff in a dome perfect atmosphere, perfect weather conditions. He's really good. If he has to go on the road to San Francisco to Levi's and Santa Clara, I don't think Detroit would win that game if the Niners do advance, but I like Detroit. They're the far better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
0: Yeah. I love Detroit to win and cover. I think Detroit has a route in this game over the Buccaneers. How about Bill's chiefs? Where are you at here? I mean, this is finally, um, you know, Josh Allen getting this game. You know, at Highmark Stadium there in Orchard Park. I mean, they've always played this one in Kansas City. Kansas City's offense is not great, but Kansas City's defense is pretty good. And Buffalo's defense is really, really banged up. Um, I think the chic pick is Buffalo. Where are you at in in this one? Buffalo's Gabe Davis hurt, not going to go. On defense, Terrell Dodson, Terrell Bernard, Christian Benford, Taylor Rapp. Uh, Rajul Douglas, Teron Johnson, Balen Spector. All those guys are hurt. I would imagine most of them don't play. The punters banged up. This is interesting. Buffalo's got this game at home. They wanted yeah. it at home, but can they handle the Chiefs? It's pretty wild that this is going to be the
1: first road playoff game in Patrick Mahomes' career. He's been in the league since 2017. He's won a couple of Super Bowls. He's been to 3-1-2, and he's never had to go on the road in a playoff game. I think this is finally the year that the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be tough, not going to be easy. I just don't think that the Chiefs have the offensive firepower to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. This defense is spectacular. But even without Gabe Davis, this Bills offense has been really good. Joe Brady's calling the plays now, taking over for Ken Dorsey. And I think that they've relied more on the run, which I think has helped that offense out a little bit. The bills are always prone to a collapse and choking in a big moment. I think this is finally the moment where Josh Allen gets a victory over Patrick Mahomes.
0: I love the under. I think I'm the way I'm betting this like game, I'm I'm gonna tease this up from 45 and a half to like 53 and tease Kansas City instead of getting two and a half. I'm gonna take try to get Kansas City at, you know, ten plus ten, something like that. Um, and I'm going under, I'll take Kansas city plus the 10 and under, I like Kansas city. I think it's going to be a close, low scoring game. I think Monday, there's a very good chance. We're talking about the NFL wanted Taylor Swift or, uh, uh, you know, they wanted the chiefs in the game, you know, cause of Swift and there'll be some call that will be going the chief's favor. The chiefs will win and people will be like, see, see, see. Um, I, I I don't know. I I, I I I I'm gonna go with Mahomes and Reed until proven otherwise. Last question, and we appreciate your time. Um, always love doing this stream on Fridays with you. It's been one of yep. my favorites of the week. Me too. This is a good one from Zoom Zoom Zoom. It says Kyle is four and forty-two when trailing at halftime. Is that real? I don't know if that's exactly right. As far as he might have, he, he those numbers may be a little bit wrong, but the general premise of that is right which is he's got an overwhelming losing record trailing at halftime yeah what do you make of the fact that the 49ers under Shanahan have not really come back in the fourth quarter in games that they've trailed um and I don't know what to make of it really I mean it's not like they don't have an explosive offense it doesn't doesn't it's not like this guy can't dial up explosive plays yeah um you know, he's, he's probably one of the best offensive play callers there is, but they don't come from behind. They've trailed three times all year at halftime this year. They've lost all three of those games. What is their issue? What, is there anything that you can point to that makes sense for why they haven't been able to come back when they trail going into the into the third and into the fourth? Yeah, I never want to doubt the
1: viewers, but if Zoom, Zoom, Zoom is right there, that's a pretty dubious mark, 4-42. I think naturally, it just takes him out of his play-calling rhythm when they're down, and they have to start throwing the football a little bit more. And when this Niners offense is more pass-reliant as compared to being evenly distributed run and pass, they're just not the same team. Maybe he starts to press a little bit. Maybe he starts to get a little bit nervous, and then in turn, his quarterbacks— do so as well let's also factor in who Kyle Shanahan's quarterbacks have been Jimmy Garoppolo isn't built to come back nor is Nick Mullins CJ Bethard and the jury is still out on Brock Purdy I think that he has the natural quarterbacking mature instincts and ability to at least overcome this at some point but also while Kyle Shanahan is bad when trailing at half in the fourth quarter He's also lost a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl, lost a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl as a coordinator, and he lost a 10-point lead in the NFC Championship game in 2021. So it kind of goes both ways. I thought it was pretty telling how... Was it you who asked him what he worked on the most this offseason, and he said self-reflection? No, know somebody, somebody else. Yeah, somebody asked that, though. But like that's always good. Look within yourself, see how you can improve, and try to self-evaluate, and hopefully... With his experience as a head coach, the talent on this roster, I hear guys like Fred Warner talk, and they know that the window is starting to just close a little bit, and they have to maximize on these opportunities. And that's why I've loved the mindset of this team all week, and I've watched a lot of interviews that you've done with players. They don't seem overconfident. and they don't seem like they're looking over the Green Bay Packers. They know they got to capitalize, and I hope they do capitalize, and they have all the ability and talent to do so.
0: My favorite moment of the week. Oh, my God, this was so good. (laughs) My favorite moment of the week. Here we go. We got to play it for people who missed it. Uh, Todd Bowles is the nicest person in America. Wait, hold on a second. Here it is. uh, Looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, The weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. uh, Today, it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the (coughs) temperatures we've been up to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures? Should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? The other side. I don't. Um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds, getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. <laughs> I love how flabbergasted he was. He's like, ah. I, I don't know. <laughs> How would Sirianni have responded to that as somebody who covers the Eagles? Uh, <laughs> I think he would, he would have like, been as gracious. Would he have been or would he have just been like, what the heck?
1: Yeah, I, honestly, he he does get along well with the media. And and contrary to the national narrative, like he does get along with the press and treat them pretty well. I think he would have been like, I mean, we're we're playing indoors i i I (laughs) joked with some friends this is what happens like so a buccaneers team you know uh they're advancing in the playoffs and i joke with some friends like this is what happens when you let a local news reporter (laughs) inside the press conference to try to get that sound bite that they think sounds great for the newscast and you don't send your sports reporter like what an idiotic question (laughs) unfortunately for her it went viral but
0: too funny That was funny. And also, you know, that commercial, you want to get away. I mean, that's like a perfect you want to get away. Yeah. Oh, beautiful stuff. Chase, what do you got cooking the rest? (laughs) What do you got cooking the rest of the day on uh, chat sports? You doing more stuff? Yeah, I put out a a preview on Sunday night. It took off, uh,
1: got 50,000 views on YouTube. So this morning I put out like another mega preview just after doing more scouting and more research. So that's up on the channel. I'm going to put out a little mailbag a little bit later. Always like chopping it up with a lot of our subscribers because they ask good questions. And then tomorrow, live for a watch party, two-hour pregame show so we'll be live two hours before the game during the game and then after the game hopefully celebrating a birth in the nfc championship game and then if the niners do win we're actually going to do another watch party to see who they play for that lions buccaneers game
0: nice well man we're loving these friday streams with you brother the audience loves it yep. uh you're Me great too. your content is great man we Thank really you. appreciate your time have a great friday man thanks to everybody thanks to marin auto glass thanks to uh pig and a pickle uh, underdog fantasy, Mojo fantasy. Thanks to Chase. Peace. We're Later. out.
1: Yeah. Never
0: met a man.
1: I've been scared of. Careful. You're going to get exactly what you asked for. Careful. Whatever you bring.